Bryce Harper turns down a $300 million contract. I don't know that I could do that. The Patriots are coming to Nashville to face the Titans, and the Tennessee Vols face off against Kentucky. This is the Press Box. We start this episode with a look at the baseball offseason. I know, not a lot of game action, of course, happening in the offseason, but definitely a lot of money moves to be made. All 30 clubs looking to upgrade where they can, and two of the biggest free agents of all time are in this year's class. Bryce Harper, right fielder, formerly of the Washington Nationals, and Manny Machado, who just wrapped up uh, tenure with the Dodgers after being traded there from Baltimore. Both players said to be getting deals in, in excess of 10 years and a minimum of $300 million. Well, I say minimum because in Bryce Harper's case, he's already turned that down. The Washington Nationals, according to Chelsea James, a beat reporter for the Nats, say that uh, they offered him a 10-year, $300 million deal, which he refused. Now, before you say Bryce Harper's being greedy, let's just take a look at what kind of player he is. Normally, at least in recent history, the last few 10-year contracts have been handed out, have been handed out to players who are in their early to mid-30s. Albert Pujols, 31. 10 years, $264 million with the Angels. Robinson Cano, 32. A 250 some odd million dollar deal with the um, Seattle Mariners. Prince Fielder signed a big eight year deal with the Tigers in excess of $200 million. All of these guys are either out of baseball, hurt, or producing at a level that, well, let's just face it, isn't worth the money. Both Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are completely different. Bryce Harper's 26 years old. A 10 year deal would take him. To his age 36 season, typically when baseball players start to have a little bit of a decline. Yeah, yeah, they, they decline. They're, that's being an old man in baseball. Uh, Manny Machado, also 26, he'll be looking at that too. Now, the current record in baseball, as far as a deal goes, belongs to John Carlos Stanton. He signed a 13-year deal. I think it was 320-some-odd million dollars with the Marlins back in 2013. He was also a young man when he signed that. And now the Yankees are paying that salary. I think most of it. The Marlins might be paying a little bit of it. Uh, so that's the current benchmark. Some rumors have that Harper's looking for a 13 to 14 year deal that would take him to his age 40 season and looking at in the neighborhood of $420 million. Will he get it? I don't know. Now, some of the suitors for Bryce Harper include the Philadelphia Phillies, the San Francisco Giants, of course, his home team of, Was of the Washington Nationals and the St. Louis Cardinals. A couple other teams kind of on the periphery include the Chicago Cubs and the New York Yankees, though both those teams have been said to be ruled out due to financial constraints and or log jams in the roster. So, where, did the, where does this, these two players go? If you were to believe the rumors, if you were to believe the prognosticators, Bryce Harper will ultimately land up in Philadelphia to the tune of a 13-year contract around $350 million. Manny Machado, likewise, will also wind up with another team. Some say the White Sox. 
again with a 10 to 11 year deal worth about $300 million. Though there is some question about Manny Machado's commitment to the game, how he carries himself, his professionality. Is that a word, professionality? Professionalism. Let's go with that one. That sounds good to me. So wherever these guys end up, they are going to be franchise-changing players. These are the kind of guys that take a spotlight and not just shine it on your team, but on your city. They sell tickets. They sell jerseys. These are the kinds of guys you want on a ball club. That being said, there's not, there's not no risk with these two players. Again, Manny Machado's commitment to the game, the way he carries himself, the lack of hustle. Bryce Harper, though he loves the game and the history, and he's at times has been a prolific hitter. He does have the injury bug himself from time to time. In fact, this last season was a uh, unnaturally off year for Bryce Harper. So we'll see how it ends up. The question to be asking yourself is, are these guys worth that money? Before you say nobody's worth $300 million, they're worth whatever someone's going to pay them. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at, are these guys going to be the ones who are going to finally be worth that big contract? Do you take that money? Do you spend it on a Bryce Harper or do you turn around and do you spread it out as much as you can? And Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, not the only options in the uh, baseball offseason. Josh Donaldson, third baseman recently for the Cleveland Indians. A.J. Pollock, center fielder for the Diamondbacks out in Arizona. These guys also in the free agent market. There's also been trade rumors out there. The Indians willing to listen on some of their top flight pitchers like Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco. You've got Paul Goldschmidt, first baseman for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's apparently, they're going to be listening on him, taking offers on him. And that's somebody that can add a Bryce Harper-like thump and star power to your lineup pretty instantly. And if you don't know who Paul Goldschmidt is, that's probably because he's been playing in Arizona for a long time. But he's... A power-hitting first baseman. Zach Greinke also with the Diamondbacks. He's played with the Angels and the Dodgers and the Royals and the Brewers before that. And they're willing to listen to trades on him. Big closers out in the market as well, including uh, uh, Andrew Miller, Cody Allen, Zach Britton. All these guys, top flight closers. Craig Kimbrell, another one, formerly with the Atlanta Braves. So... When it comes to the baseball offseason, no, there's no games being played, but the excitement is still just as palpable. It's hard to go a day without hearing some kind of rumor. If you've got a favorite team, you need to be listening in to the press box to see how the rumors go every other week. Right now, again, uh, Bryce Harper favored to go to the Phillies. I know the Cardinals are in on that a little bit. Uh, Craig Kimbrell also uh, of rather interest very big interest to the Cardinals, the Red Sox, the Indians, believe it or not, the White Sox, and Philly. Philly's just got some really deep pockets. In fact, someone, a source close to the Phillies, said that they're going to be able to spend upwards enough money to nab both Manny Machado and Bryce Harper if they wanted to. Insane. <laughs> All right, that's enough about the hot stove season. Let's move on to uh, a game that's got some action going on. This Sunday, Tom Brady, the Patriots, coming to Nashville to take on Marcus Mariota and the Titans. Titans picking up the win against the Cowboys last week on Monday Night Football. They got a defensive gym 
in which the pass rush came alive for five second-half sacks, and the run defense held Ezekiel Elliott to just 61 rushing yards. Now, Brady and the Patriots, their offense, they're going to have a pretty stiff test in the red zone where the Titans' defense ranks best in the league. Now, New England's defense, it's looked pretty solid at times this season, but other times, they get a lot of holes. Of course, whenever you take a look at the coaching side of things, too, get Bill Belichick, one of the all-time greats, maybe the greatest coach in NFL history. Uh, Mike Vrabel, nothing wrong with Mike, but he's still he's still a new coach. He's still getting his feet wet, as they say. And uh, for a first-time, first-year coach like Mike Vrabel, going head-to-head with Bill Belichick, it's going to be a test for him and how he calls the plays and how he runs the team. On the offensive side, well... The Patriots look to be getting Sonny Michael back for this game and tight end Rob Gronkowski. Probably going to be a game-time decision, but even without two of their top threats, the Patriots offense, they're going to be churning. uh, Well, they churned 31 points against the Packers last week. The Titans, uh, they're running back Deion Lewis. He's averaged 138.5 yards from the scrimmage for the past two weeks, and he's going to look to keep that going against his former team. And that's one of the storylines to be watching here. You got Deion Lewis, you got Malcolm Butler, their old team, the Patriots, coming to town. How are they going to react playing against their former teammates? If the Titans can pull off an upset here, it would go a long way to restoring the confidence in this team, just like the win over Dallas did too. Uh, A lot of teams already been technically eliminated from the playoffs. The Titans, not one of them. They're still in contention. They can still do this. Marcus Mariota, uh, he's going to have to be steady in the pocket. He's going to have to be willing to try to throw that ball a bit better and continuing the success that he had last week. Of course, you got to protect Mariota, too, and that's where that defense comes in, and it's one of the best in the league. I'm looking forward to this game quite a bit, actually. Uh, Tom Brady, I am a Titans fan, but Tom Brady, in my opinion, is the greatest quarterback of all time. He beats out Peyton Manning. He beats out Brett Favre. He beats out John Elway, Dan Marino. And those are all amazing quarterbacks, but they're not Tom Brady. And uh, if, you can, if you can succeed against the Patriots, you can win. And to me, the Titans have some unfinished business with them from last year's playoffs where they need to, I think they, they need to get a win. They need to get a win here and show the league that the Titans are, the Titans are here. The new look Titans all the way around, they're going to get things done. <laughs> Moving on to college football, this uh, game for Tennessee this weekend, it's, it's going to be one of these games where I don't really know who to cheer for. My Kentucky Wildcats, I'm originally from Kentucky. They're coming to Knoxville to face off against the Vols. And, uh, well, it's going to be quite the game. Yeah, Kentucky, number 11, 7-2, 5-2 in the SEC, taking on the 4-5 uh, and five Volunteers, who's 1-4 in the SEC. Now, this game... A lot of people are saying, ah, well, it's Kentucky. They've been great this year. Everything's going awesome for them. What kind of threat Tennessee's going to be? Tennessee's a rebuilding program. Well, Benny Snell, who, let's face it, has carried this team, the UK team, on his back. He's, uh, he may not play. He may not play. Uh, the Vols have a stronghold on the all-time series record, 79-25-9. That goes all the way back to 1893. But Kentucky. They're, uh, they're going to try to build on that win streak, beating Tennessee last year with a score of 29 to 26. So this thing about Benny Snell, though, if he's not running, if he's not in the game, the Vols have a, a very good chance of coming out with a win in this. 
Benny Snell is the Wildcats, is Benny Snell. And that's not to take away from uh, Terry Wilson, the QB there. But the guy can't pass the ball to save his life. And as good as UK's been, it's only been that good because of Benny Snell. And to be honest, Kentucky may need to rest him. He's got a lot of yards on his body this season. And uh, if they hope to have any you know, luck uh, in the postseason, in the bowl game, which I'm sure they're bound for, they got to keep him healthy. Uh, now, listen, here's the, de- here's the deal. Kentucky lost last week to Georgia, 34-17 at home. And uh, that's cost them a shot at their first ever SEC East title. Now, there is some silver linings to this, and it's Kentucky has already exceeded preseason expectations by locking up second place in the division. And while rare win in Knoxville is Saturday, it's not going to make up for last week's missed opportunity. It is going to keep the Wildcats on pace for their first 10-win season in 41 years and a possible New Year's Six Bowl appearance. Now, the Volunteers, I, it's, it's, I try not to be too hard on them. Again, a rebuilding program, but it's desperation time for the Vols. They're in an unusual role. They're not typically the underdog against the Wildcats, but that's where they find themselves this Saturday. Tennessee still needs two wins in its final three contests to guarantee bowl eligibility. Now, last week's 14-3 victory over Charlotte helped Tennessee get one step closer to that. However, a lackluster win against the middle of the road conference USA team may have done little to inspire the momentum the Vols really need heading into this final run. Now, a win against Kentucky would not only provide a huge shot, a huge shot in the arm for the Vols' bowl aspirations, but it would also give first-year head coach Jeremy Pruitt another marquee victory as he looks to right the ship in Rocky Top. Now, again, Benny Snell, questionable for the game. But if he's playing, their chief objective on Saturday is going to be no different from that of any other team that's faced Kentucky this season. you got to stop Benny Snell and the Kentucky rushing attack. The Vols, they fell short of that task last season. Kentucky racked up 289 rushing yards and four touchdowns on the ground in that 29-26 win. Benny Snell counted for 180 rushing yards and three touchdowns alone in that matchup. And while the elite running back hasn't, well, looked his best in recent matchups against Georgia and Missouri, if the defense isn't any good, he's going to feast on it. He's done it all season long. He currently sits atop the SEC leaderboard as the only player in the conference to eclipse the 1,000-yard rushing mark this season. His 10 rushing touchdowns rank second among SEC running backs. Now, the Vols can only hope that Snell's functioning at less than 100%. He rolled his ankle in the first half of last week's loss to Georgia, but chances are Tennessee's still going to have their hands full. Terry Wilson, he ranks second among SEC quarterbacks, is 418 rushing yards. A lot of that, again, thanks to Benny Snell. The passing game, really not that great. Now, the other half of this is Kentucky's defense, okay? They went to last week's de facto SEC's East Championship game against Georgia, boasting the nation's top-scoring defense, 13 points per game, as well as a top-20 run defense. The Wildcats, though, proceeded to give up 34 points and 331 rushing yards to the Bulldogs in, well, in what can best be described as an abysmal performance by a defense that's not previously allowed more than 20 points in a game all season long. And finally, the only thing worse than the Kentucky run defense last week was the, uh, well, Tennessee's run game. The ball's rushed for a season-low 20 yards against Charlotte. And if you had to bet on one of these units to bounce back this week, the smart money would be on Kentucky's run defense. That will likely require Tennessee to lean heavily on Jarek Guaratano 
or excuse me, Garantano in the passing game on Saturday. And the balls, they're going to need to come up with at least a couple of explosive plays in the passing game to have a fighting chance. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch uh, this weekend. Titans, balls, paying attention to the baseball offseason. What we do here. All right. This is the Press Box. I'm Moose Michaels. You know what to do, right? Drink a brewski for the mooski. I'm out. <laughs>